2: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
3: What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those those, those
4: boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
0: Yes. Good luck.
3: So he's almost like having a second captain in the (laughs) team.
5: Second captain, first captain, whatever.
4: that might be, you know, aiming for utopia, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. Oh, Richard,
5: how are we feeling this morning?
4: I just watched the goal set to the Titanic music and it really works. Oh, it really, really works. I think this is the most fun we're ever going to have in the podcast.
3: I don't want to get into a water world. I don't want to get into a water
4: ward.
0: It's good, isn't
3: it? <laughs> you might remember Alan Ferns. Did you I remember it? Alan yeah, Ferns? Yeah, red-haired guy, yeah. red haired guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me and yeah. Alan Ferns had a fight once in the, in the Guinness uh, <laughs> <laughs> swimming pool dressing room. Oh, Motiling Street there. Fraser and Ali in another incarnation when they were both young, and I guess I was too. Young.
5: <laughs> Reverend Jesse Jackson, you're very welcome to the show. For well, the few people who
3: resist publicly, he uh, cast a light to lit up our pathway.
1: 30 million watched the fight. What? Yes, that's true. Um, I was better known in Africa than I was in our It's Ireland.
5: unbelievable. He threw a hard trial, I think, at David Beckham <laughs> uh, in the... Is that right? No.
2: So I had this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age.
5: Holy yeah. shit, Ken and Murphy. It's US Murph. Round of applause for U.S. Yeah. Murphy's
2: that's him.
4: Keos, right? Upstairs at Keos. Kills, everyone, but that's yeah.
2: fine.
1: <laughs> oh oh, my oh, word. oh.
6: Tell us. Talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened, but talk us through it. Oh just saying, Sig Forson is the old. <laughs> 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 <Yes. laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, my God. Is
5: it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys?
0: No, of course not. He was about 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen him.
2: Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened?
4: It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all.
2: It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
5: Hello and welcome to the second captain's podcast with Owen Murphy and Ken. Hi, Murphy and Ken. Hello there, Onzi. Oh, I'm good, I'm very, very good. We've had a ton of suggestions in the last week as to what to do with all this extra podcasting time that we're unleashing this week. More Ken's ghouls, less Ken's ghouls, you know, the mm. ones, Murphy. that kind of thing. But our second captain's... World Service has launched today, and on launch day, I don't know what's happened here. One idea seems to be popping up more and more. It's not far off a campaign at this stage, mm. and all surrounding a long lost, not very much missed radio slot I had thought until today. Summed up by this tweet by Robert Levy, who has signed up to the World Service. I've done my bit. Now give me some Murph's country pages
4: immediately.
5: Murph's country pages. I don't, I don't know where this has come from. Well, there's, there's a few.
4: I mean, it's been a. This has been in cold storage for quite a while. For quite a few reasonably good reasons four, four I years it was, I, I, no I, I no on, I have to say that the four least quite enthusiastic, a few reasonably good reasons the, <laughs> the four shot that was a cheap mm, shot You're right the there. four least enthusiastic people about Murph's country pages were my four co-workers <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, many many people ignored it mm-hmm. many people took it as a perhaps now is a good time to stick the kettle on uh, but the, the the real vitriol was kept just for you four And how much you all hated it. So, I mean, I I, I find this, I mean, listen, who knows what could happen on. Maybe it will make a return. But I will ask that, you know, if the listeners have asked for it, then the least I can expect is a little bit of support from my co-workers. To Robert
5: Levy and to everybody else who signed up so far today, we send all of our second captain's love to you. We've got a lot of love to give. Ken in particular, I think, has a lot of love to give. And he's giving it all to you today. Isn't that right, Ken? All your love? That's right. Well, most of it anyway. I'm going to keep some for myself, but you know, most yeah. of it. This is an independent, member-led way of doing things. And so far, you guys are leading it absolutely brilliantly, i got to say. So, well done. It's been great. If you think you like the sound of a minimum of six podcasts a week, two on a Monday, and one a day from Tuesday, that's tomorrow to Friday from now on, then make your way please to secondcaptains.com, where a beautiful brand new website awaits with all the details on how to sign up and listen to the new shows. It's all very straightforward. Membership costs €5 a month plus VAT, depending on where in the world you're listening from. And as well as the daily podcasts, you do get a Second Captains induction pack, which I've mentioned on the last few pods. Members only events, priority notice for all events, the super awesome. Second captain's badge. Can't forget the badge, and loads of other <laughs> lovely bits.
4: There was something about how undel- uh, the the delivery of the badge. There, I, on, like think got, I,
5: I really like the badge. If you held the badge, if
4: you like the look of the badge, then it's a hell of a badge. Hmm. It is. It's a beauty.
5: One of the new shows in the World Service this week will feature the debut of the players' chair with Richie Sadler.
4: Hmm. You so, you have hinted darkly as to the. Uh, identity of our mystery presenter Our mystery former Millwall Dog-loving Once scored in a third and fourth best playoff In the European <laughs> Championships under 18 game
5: It's the brilliant Richie Sadler A lot of you have demanded that Richie make the player in question Cry in as many of the interviews as possible His first guest He doesn't strike me as a type to break down In an interview, I've got to say But then there's a lot about Sean Dyche That doesn't conform to my lazy stereotyping Richie played with Dyche at Millwall You may, may or may not know this Richie was the callow youth just getting back into the stereotyping here <laughs> Dice the <laughs> grizzled veteran He was a grizzled veteran I'm sure Yeah
4: Maybe he took him under his wing Yeah you know. that's
3: usually what happens That's so, what so happens If you're a grizzled you know,
4: veteran You can barely move your wings for callowed youth or Cowering no. underneath, <laughs> underneath. <laughs> Yeah
5: sometimes it's the opposite isn't it though Sometimes you have to show the callow youth What they need to do to become ultimately a grizzled veteran
4: Carrot and stick on you know Yeah. Yeah Some lads need a Armour on the shoulder, other lads need to kick up the arse. <laughs> Maybe we'll find out which one of those types of Cal OU's Richie Sadler was.
5: Richie was watched with interest as Deitch has cemented his reputation as one of the best managers in the Premier League. One of the top two managers, in fact, going by Martin Keown's analysis of that amazing result against Chelsea yesterday. Uh, this is a face-to-face interview. They got into a lot of great stuff, including how Dyche has managed to find a way into the head of one of the more difficult heads to enter in the Premier League. Where does a player like Joey Barton fit into a conversation like this? Because a lot of people, I think, were struck by how things went for him at Glasgow Rangers and then for you to pick up the phone and to give him a ring and to sign him in the way that you did. I've read it many, many
4: times that so many other managers would not have made that call or signed a player like that. Why did you?
2: You know, I don't want to judge anyone. Um, so where he's gone elsewhere are the things that have happened to him and not they're not for me to decide on. I can only speak about him and me at Burnley Football Club and... I mean, sincerely, a lot of people use this term. They say, how have you managed him? I haven't managed him. I've just spoken to him. He's a, he's a man. He's not a boy. I say it all the time, but people think there's this magic dust of management. There's not. But if you go back to what we were talking or what I was suggesting, if you respond to people on key core values, if he knows I'm going to be honest with him, he knows I'm going to give him the truth, he knows that I'm going to speak to him and listen, well, it's not a bad start point. So with him, I just found that's the way of doing it. So, not actually sort of managing him, just speaking to him and, and almost involving him in the process but he knows where the line is all of my lads know where the line is and they know that clearly it, there's a defined moment when they know enough is enough
5: and you can hear that interview in full on the player's chair with richie sadler this week if you sign up for the world service and second captains.com if you were out there today with richie meeting sean Dyche. Mm-hmm. good company
4: yeah actually um he is a football man i mean <laughs> maybe he's the first football man i've ever met obviously present company excluded
3: Well, that's that's not true. You met John Giles? Many times. Oh, yeah, that's true. Maybe The the football man.
4: In the last three weeks. But then again, Richie's a football man. Listen, he's a football man. I've met other football men.
3: You go forward as John Giles suggested that I could compete in the women's half marathon. (laughs) Did I? Yeah, you did. I'm sorry, Ken. I I wouldn't
6: necessarily agree with what Ken Early says about football.
3: You were stuffing... Buns into your face, as usual, when he said it <laughs> and probably snorted a few crumbs across the table. I don't, oh, you've forgotten it, but I've never forgotten. If
5: I'm you're having sorry, any okay. issues at all, any problems with the sign-up process on secondcaptains.com, just email, a new address would be the handiest one, members at secondcaptains.com. So just email if you have any issues signing up, members at secondcaptains.com, that's members with an S. And you can tweet us as well at Second Captains. If you're not into the membership idea, it's fine. You can still hear both of today's podcasts. That's Monday's shows. Whatever way you're listening to this particular show, that's going to be the same. Uh, going forward. I can't believe I just used the phrase going forward. <laughs> yeah, well, there was no there, other way to
3: finally, say it, on Every was, Monday from oh. now. Um, for every. Forever. F- yeah, for
4: <laughs> every 400 you know unnecessary usages of the phrase going forward that was, there is that yeah. one time <laughs> okay. when, pack, going well, when, when going
5: yeah. forward going forward the, was the right one to uh, on today's podcast Waterford beat Kilkenny in Kilkenny for the first time in 13 years their manager Derek McGrath always has something interesting to say in interviews so looking forward to getting him on a little bit later but first
2: now
4: Benwick can he get the pass to JJ try for JJ
2: Through. Duggan, back to Campbell, back to Duggan. McLaughlin going for that line, and Islander in and over.
5: Simon, a facile win. Two players grabbing hat tricks. Mm-hmm. It's never a great, never a great sign of the competitive nature of a game. Uh, embarrassing for Italy, bad for the competition. But when the points total gets totted up at the end of the Six Nations, all those late tries could end up being the difference between Ireland winning a title and not. Is that what was going through your head? One hundred percent. Yeah. I never understand why people. It's a little bit different this season, in fairness, uh, with the bonus point because that could separate things. Anyway, so even allowing for Ireland beating France, Wales, and England, they still might. They still mightn't even get the necessary bonus points. That that's another way of separating it. But it's always it seems to be hard for a lot of people in rugby to get their heads around this idea that the way you win these titles. Is by racking up points against the bad teams.
1: Highland the misery, yeah.
5: Completely. And it's not; it's a bit, you know, a, a, the bonus point again might be a good way for this not to be the case because it, it does seem a bit weird. It would have been a bit weird for Wales to have won the Six Nations a couple of years ago and they went over to Italy and scored their 60 points or whatever it was that day. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if you get the 60 points in the last day or the, the second day, they could still make it yeah. a bit of a difference. Well, the
1: last few Six Nations have come down to points differential. I know England won the Grand Slam, but certainly Ireland's two championship wins came down to unbelievably tight margins. I found it kind of hard to take much joy out of the whole thing. I always wondered what it might be like to be, say, a Barcelona fan or a New Zealand rugby fan um, destroying people every week and I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'd am not enjoy you it. Didn't, you, I, didn't enjoy, you didn't struggled. enjoy it? You didn't enjoy Yeah, I just felt pity Patrick's, for Italy as opposed to really? taking joy out of it. Is that because of, of
5: Conor O'Shea though, do you think? That there's an Irish guy in charge?
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, a more that. And also just that People like Parise looked pathetic, you know, former Warriors, just the whole thing, the the stadium that wasn't full, everything about it was pathetic. All right, let's get stuck
5: into this with Shane Horgan. Shane, how's the form? Really good. Good, good to hear. Joe Schmidt seemed to be, um, well, I presume he's in better form than he was last week, but he was asked to heap praise on Craig Gilroy after the game. Uh, You know, a hat-trick off the bench would normally get a little bit of a a nod of encouragement from the coach. I thought it was a mixed bag for Craig, said Schmidt. There was a couple of defensive things positionally that I think he'll learn from. (laughs) Why does he have to be such a buzzkill all the time?
2: (laughs) Yeah, he is quite a buzzkill, and particularly on on Gilroy. I think that may be sort of dampening down his own expectations a bit for selection next time out, because there are elements um, of um, Gilroy's game that can be exposed at international level. Um, I didn't see a huge amount of defensive failings in the time that he came in because there wasn't a huge amount of uh, defense to do. But I'd imagine he's got one eye on, um, or Joe has one eye on Trimble coming back against the French team um, and they'll need his excellence in the air and his um, defensive um, solidity. Um, but you know, I thought Gilroy was fantastic to watch. He knew I actually knew he was going to score some tries. It was perfect for him. It was a really smart. You know, he gave out to Joe last time out about having um, Tommy on the bench, having Craig on the bench this time was a really smart plan because it was going to loosen up and the Italians were destroyed. And his footwork and finishing ability was exactly what Ireland required. He's now gone and scored three tries in thirty minutes, and I'd say the chances are that. You know he won't be in the 23 next time
5: out. Yeah, stuff. So I know we're already almost uh, forgetting about Italy and talking about selection in a couple of weeks' time. But something else that Schmidt said was interesting. He was asked about uh, Paddy Jackson's sex, and he says, "I think it'd be good to have them both in camp and to square them off and see how they're travelling. I- again, I know you're you're always quite interested in the messaging that Joe Schmidt tries to put out there, both publicly and and maybe more to the point to his players. Do you think this genuinely is a selection? Headache for him now. Uh, Jackson against Sexton. Assuming Sexton is fully fit.
2: No, I don't think it is. Really? I think he'll he'll pick. Certainly at this point, uh, he'll continue to pick Sexton, and I think he's right to continue to pick Sexton. I think that message. Um, it's not by accident he said that, but I don't think that's a message for Johnny Sexton. That's a message uh, for Paddy Jackson, mm. and uh, he will want uh, Paddy to you know remain upbeat, feel as if he's in some some idea of a some chance of of um getting on at the week uh, you know in two weeks time against France. But I think ultimately Patty Jackson knows the, the pecking order. And um you know having been in teams with Sexton and knowing how how those camps are run, you no, know, I don't think anybody is that would be that you know is unaware that Sexton is a top dog and will remain so.
1: We're only having this debate, I suppose Shane, because of Sexton's injury record over the last while. But it is a really bad injury record. So Therefore, is there not some doubt in the back of your mind? Does that not change your selection process?
2: Um, so are you thinking we can't, he, he's going to go off or he's going to yeah, be injured? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I do think you have to, I think that does come into um, into your head. Not that we're not going to start him though, or we've got to play this guy because Sexton can't get through, through 90. I think you have to listen to the medics and think if they're prepared, yes. But there may be, a chance that he won't get through um, through the entire game, but that's you know there's a lot of positions in rugby now where you think players don't play the entire um, eighty minutes, and I do think that now has um, has a uh, impact on selection. So I do think maybe in years gone by you think well we have a ten, we rely on him, it's really important, everything goes through him. I'd say it's much more equitable in how they. And train during the week, how much time Paddy Jackson will have with the back line, how much time Sexton will have with it, you know, how much time both, you know, lead the entire packs or even the captain's run, because there's a very good chance that um, Jackson's going to be involved at some stage.
5: Shane, you went over and interviewed Conor O'Shea, who spoke really well ahead of the game. Then you have to watch the guy oversee this embarrassment against his home country. I, I don't know. I, I really felt for him. You'd know him a little bit. Did you? Did you feel sympathy for the guy?
2: I really did. Afterwards, I thought this is a tough position, and I think um, he's underestimated, or he's underestimated the challenge, or maybe he hasn't. But I think he's overestimated the quality of some of his players. Mm. And um, I think having spoken to him, it was he had a really genuine belief that, uh, and it came across to me in the interview and afterwards speaking to him. That he thought he has some real quality, and if he can put a few things in place and get a few things together, that they they can become competitive pretty quickly. I got the sense he didn't think that that was something he could do this year, but I do think he thinks in the in the you know short to medium term that they can become very competitive. Um, you know he he spoke about. You know, uh, um, compared to uh, compared them to an Argentinian side, of what he wanted. You know, the the level of development that they had, and where they where they got to, and where Ireland got to. And I just don't see it. I just don't see where their good players are. Um, even their best players are you know not playing as you know. Parise isn't playing as well as he he would a number of years ago, or he could, and he's not going to get any better. Um, you know, Campanaro was mean picked for whatever reason. You know, is he? There's certainly nobody world class in the mm. team. Um, so I think he's got a really difficult job ahead of him, um, and he has to also win. You know, he can maybe go through this Six Nations and not win a, a game, and he can take some heavy beatings as he is. But he, even if his remit was to change the structures in Italian rugby, if you go through two Six Nations or you go through six nations and an autumn international and then another six nations and you haven't won a game and you've been taking hidings then uh, there's big problems now he's bought himself a bit of time with that south african result uh, in the autumn but um you know goodwill runs out pretty fast and um, they have really systemic problems all over the place but most of all i just don't think they've any, any good players and well it's pretty say obviously, at obviously, obviously where, Parise would be the world class guy yeah but like you know he wasn't that good was he I, he, he wasn't good. He wasn't good and hasn't been, you know, hasn't been good. And he's not going to get any better. You know, he's not. He has been world class for the last 10 years. But, you know, I think he's, he's teetering on the brink here. And if you look at the players, and this is the, uh, in its most simple form, look at the players who make up the Italian team. The vast majority of them play for, the Treviso or Zebra, who are two of the worst teams in professional sports. And they are the two most losing teams, you know, in professional rugby. So how can you expect those players to turn around and then pick up another level at international? They just aren't there.
1: My overwhelming sense watching it, Shane, was just that the other nations need to help Italy. Not just because that would, you know, help Italy themselves, but just the competition feels a little farcical at times. If they're getting weaker and weaker and they start shipping 60 points every week, it just means one of the three fixtures is irrelevant, uh, painful to watch. There's no atmosphere in the ground. Uh, it feels ceremonial as opposed to you know the other the other games are really intense. I don't know if there's something can be done in that sense, whether it's coaching knowledge or I don't think money is necessarily an issue. But as you say, it's a structural thing. It's a massive job for Conor Shea. But is there anything the other nations could or should do?
2: Well, I spoke to Ronan uh, in the studio, and he was kind of he was. Saying he thought this was the worst it, Italy have been in a long time. Like we played, I played them during my career, and it was never as processional as it was at the weekend. And you know, you look at what Wales did in the week before. If the weather had been a bit better in the first half, you know, they would have done similar to what Ireland did, and they still put up a big score. Um, so that you know, they are probably at their least competitive, maybe that they've ever been, and. Um, it starts to become you know starts to become bullying that's what it almost felt like it felt like ireland didn't have to worry about any game plan they didn't have to worry about any tactics all they had to do is just get them pick up the ball and do whatever they want and they would have a positive outcome from it and that's what happened now how do you stop that going about you know again I've talked to Ronan and I've talked to Conor and even if you put the best practice systems in tomorrow with regard to uh, zebra and Treviso, and that's not going to happen, by the way. Even if you did that, where? How long does it start to um, have significant change at international level? I'm saying minimum five to seven years. Mm. That's where it is. So, and and they're nowhere near being at that starting point yet. So. Um, you know i i'm really concerned about how they will continue you know they have a lot of players playing the game in italy but they don't have a they don't move on to the next level at all
5: yeah well on the plus side from our point of view we have a healthy points difference now uh, unfortunately for italy and we have the bonus point and also that losing bonus point against scotland if we're looking for reasons to be positive about the next few weeks we also have a coach and a team that tend to do well the longer they they're together. I think you know. Generally in Six Nations, they seem to work out the bits that have gone wrong and fix them. Was there enough in the in the performance against Italy, or more to the point, what Joe Schmidt has brought to Ireland over the last number of years that leads you to be pretty positive about France next up?
2: I, I'm positive. Uh, I, I'm positive for the game against France, but maybe not for those reasons. Right. I I'm, don't think France are particularly good. Um, they beat Scotland. Scotland were terrible yesterday in comparison to their first half. Um, um, against Ireland, Finn Russell had a really poor game. The referee had a, a shocking game against uh, France. Uh, he handed Scotland a number of opportunities. Um, they still didn't uh, take them. Um, that sort of embarrassing miss from underneath the posts, like a catalogue of errors and uh, mistakes. Scotland should have won the game. They didn't. France uh, occasional bursts of quality from from a number of players, but you know nothing and um, s- you know, nothing progressive in their system uh, their defensive um, alignment especially in the wings can really be exploited um and we're playing at home and um also these french players are used to getting beat by by irish teams um and i think what well, you know there was once a psychological issue for irish teams i think that's probably flipped on its head a bit now and there's a psychological issue for french teams coming to coming to ireland um uh, you know what Ireland got from the Italian game? I don't know. Nothing technically, and nothing tactically. Really, the only thing they, they got is a uh, a goodwill. i sorry. You know, a good feeling around the camp because everybody contributed. And um, you know, by and large, everyone's uh, contribution was, was positive. Uh, hard to knock anyone. There'll be a number of guys that will be sniffing around, thinking that they have an opportunity to get on the in the 15 or the 23. And that's positive as well. It makes for a really good mood around camp. So, uh, you know, I think the we're in a good spot going into this French game.
1: You know what I don't get, Shane, is Guinovez is one of the best, if not the best, European Cup coach of all time. And yet he doesn't seem to be, you were really worried about their attacking structure, how they lose their alignment so quickly and how if you basically just keep making your tackles, you should hold them out. Um, how can that be? I mean, they have such great athletes. How can he not be putting some shape on them?
2: When was the last time he won a European Championship?
1: Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Is it out of date? Are his tactics out of date?
2: Yeah, they are. And, you know, they've been out of date for... You know, that Toulouse team that he was with was of its era. And it also had a staggering array of individually talented players. But even in the last seven years, there has been massive progress on... In the way that rugby is played, and France haven't progressed in that in that regard. Dinove is a brilliant man manager. That is without doubt. Um, I think he is probably you know, without. He's probably getting a lot out of those players as individuals, and you know they are committed to France. But um, you know, from from a technical point of view, if you're, if you're looking at what they're doing in attack. It's it's completely a hodgepodge all over the place. You know, it's, it's expecting players to, you know, to one player to do something special and then another player to do something special and another player to do something special. You know, to have a, a French flair, you have to have a structure around it. And you know, the, the best in New Zealand, you know, are the biggest flair team probably in the world at the moment. You know, they have a structure around what they do. You have to, otherwise you're just running then um, you know, dark alleys. And uh, you know France are consistently doing that. The defensive structure is going to be, is going to be exploited by Ireland and Joe Smith. I've no doubt about it. We're going to move more ball to the wing, and both those wings for France make terrible reads. And, you know, for two of their best players in offence, wait till you see the amount of time uh, Ireland go after them. I think we're going to see them really exploited because they make terrible mistakes.
1: This is exciting. Are you thinking even maybe four-try bonus for Ireland? I know weather-dependent and injuries and all the rest, but potentially, I mean, you could be targeting this like you would an Italy game almost. Okay, no, no. (laughs) 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 No,
2: We we just (laughs) beat Italy by 60 odd points. (laughs) Um, No, what I do think, though, is um, there are a number of teams that, uh, the, their defensive structure works for Ireland and Ireland can beat them. And one of those is South Africa. I think we can always outthink South Africa. I think we consistently do it. I think the same is with France for a, for a good number of years. We can consistently outthink them and our tactics will be better than theirs. Now, that said we don't always be South Africa and we don't always be France and that's because the game isn't just tactics there's more to it than that there's a phys- physical um, there's a physical nature of it there's the you know psychological nature of it and there's you know being able to perform on a big day in front of, in the in the right um the right stage and you know, just the confidence of, of how the you know, opening segment of a game goes or whether passes are going hand-to-hand hand and whether players tighten up or the, the idea that you're playing in the Six Nations. And if Ireland lose the game at home, they're really you know, they're not going to be able to win the championship. So there's a number of different factors that uh, mean that Ireland aren't going to you know, win this game easily. But what I'm saying is tactically, I think we'll have the game plan to, to exploit them. Whether we do or not, you know, we'll find out in a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, only two you know, games. We're only two games into this, and England are the only unbeaten team already, and they're not playing their best by any means. Do you think potentially, you know, if all teams are to play to their potential, England are actually quite a bit ahead of the other teams in the championship?
2: No, because I think the England team of last year is um, a different matter than this English team, and um, the injuries they've shipped are having an effect on the way they're playing. Um Nathan Hughes um, is not getting over the game line in any sort of way that's comparable to Billy Vanipola. He doesn't offload the ball as well as he does. Uh, he makes poor decisions when he's offloading the ball. I know he's a young guy, but he's nowhere. They're really missing Billy, I think. Um, they're missing Cruz. They're missing Toje playing in the position in um, his natural position, which is a second row. Um I, they're just not firing at the same level that they were last year. Um, even their second wave attack doesn't look quite as functional as was. Ford is not looking quite as sharp as um, he was last year. But that said, he, he's sort of coming into his game a bit by the second half of the Welsh game. So um, they're not firing at, uh, on all cylinders. But you know what is happening is they're playing games together, and that cohesion, that continuity. Um, means that they will be getting better. I know Ireland will get better in the tournament. They will certainly get better. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he changes things up um, with selection as well. You know, Ben has come on in both games and been very impactful. Um, so was Haskell. I surprised Haskell didn't come on for um, Hughes. Um, and so they're kind of two key areas that um, you know that we'll see whether changes are made. And and Maka will come back um and if he does then that sort of changes the the carrying game and the offloading game as well so i've a feeling that although england aren't i don't think i think they're way off where they were last year um i think they'll be better by the time we get to meet them and by the way we've got wales to play in between <laughs> yeah. in, on a friday night in yeah. in um, the principality stadium which will be a nightmare yeah we'll
5: yeah. be talking to martin williams in a minute shane brilliant stuff thanks a million
2: cheers guys take it easy
5: nice effort there simon trying to talk Shane into comparing <laughs> France with Italy. <laughs> well, that's the way they,
1: have they, they haven't finished above fourth for the last five years I think so. Yeah, they don't normally ship 60 points though. No, it's that weird one where you know you're better than France you know you'll be better prepared than them but you still expect a really tight game and it'll mm. take something really good to get past them and I don't know maybe... Maybe because I'm a bit older, I still find it really hard to shake that feeling from the 90s and the 80s that France were way better than Ireland. You went into games with no hope whatsoever. (laughs) There are 16-year-olds well maybe there aren't
4: that many 16 year olds but there might be a few 16 year olds listening to this just thinking Simon what the hell are you talking
1: about (laughs) France are a third tier nation Yeah, Yeah.
4: I mean you know if we should look into relegation from the six nations so that teams like Italy and France could be (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking of course I'm not
5: sure if it's switched to the point that Shane reckons it might have that France actually have a psychological issue with us I mean, they do. they did beat us at home last year, didn't they? God, it's hard to remember Six Nations from... They battered yeah, us around it was hor- the place. Horrible yeah, weather. We, were, yeah,
1: we they, were quite bad. They had quite a good scrum and yeah. And they beat, injuries beat and concussion. And and up quite a lot and it was horrible. It was a grim event.
5: Goes. So I don't know. Maybe it's different uh, away from home. Anyway, we're a little bit away from that. We'll get into a bit more Six Nations right after Ken tells us what is in today's Second Captain's Football Podcast.
6: That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for
2: that, Really.
3: Uh, you can laugh. Was the cool.
2: I'm a little bit of an idealist.
5: But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about.
3: What if yeah. you want I like
5: it?
6: to stay alive for six I'd say it to your face I'd say it to you it to oh, now. I will and What do you doing down here? You're showing me, man.
3: A touch of blarney, a bit of romance, and a heap of laughter.
4: <laughs> that
3: was the uh, tagline. Or the Walt Disney motion picture, Darby O'Gill, and the little people. <laughs> uh, but it might as easily be the tagline for today's Second Captain's Football podcast. Because this, Owen, was the weekend when Irish eyes couldn't stop smiling <laughs> as the goals rained in from all angles.
4: Rained in like mm. a cold day on the west coast of Ireland. Absolutely.
3: Ed. Rainbows appearing all over the place as these goals rained in. Uh, Burnley, of course, uh, handed, away, handed over several crocks of gold <laughs> to secure the services of Robbie Brady. But with a left foot like that on, you know, who could say that... Uh
5: <sighs> You've tapped into a weird niche here, Ken. i got to rescue you from the <laughs> end of your <laughs> thought. That, that, that wasn't... Right, yeah. a, a, weird, a weird niche in my knowledge, in my movie knowledge.
3: Oh, the Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Yeah. You two have seen this...
5: Atrocity. No, it's not about seeing it. I, I know a little bit more. I can put a little bit of bit of background info if you want it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, Walt Disney came over to Ireland to celebrate its release. So right. it was on whatever big this big cinema would have been back then. I don't know. He yeah. came over, um, and my gran and granddad attended a big dinner, big fancy pants dinner that was held in honor of Walt Disney right. and all the. Uh, you know the tourism he was going to bring to Ireland based on this wonderful portrayal of mm. uh, the little people in this country oh Darby Gill and the likes yes but my granddad was the film censor at the time and uh, my son <laughs> went along with him
3: and he and he just said that's that's all right then we're so beaten down Your we're so beaten have down banned that film. well, well like the centuries of occupation that we are c- happy <laughs> with that you
5: can you can we'll let that one pass to <laughs> to, to to yeah to defend my long gone grandfather who i never knew unfortunately i don't think the film censor's role is to ban stuff that they just think is and a little... Owen, li- well, uh, your granddad was banning rather a lot of
3: movies back in the day. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> he, he was seen as... He was this. Seen as what? I've, I've never heard this before. This is fascinating. Mm. I mean, he, he, he was the film censor. That's amazing. He would have been banning movies left, right and centre and cutting... People would have been I'd say every time he went down the pub, like, uh, you know. Oh yeah. Tells about what's I'd on the cutting room floor this week. I'd say <laughs> yeah. It's the only thrills a lot of people got in their lives <laughs> back in the day. He was the uh, he was the prophylactic, uh, keeping <laughs> these these. Uh, these cultural <laughs> toxins. My, at bay. my sister
5: recently did a project Ken, on this entire subject. I can send it on to if you want. You seem fascinated. I actually would Absolutely. love to see yeah, that, that as well. On. Yeah, okay.
3: I, I never even realised that your father was or grandfather was yeah. the cultural arbiter.
5: Apparently, uh, I'm not sure when this was found, but there was a menu from that meal found in my grand's house. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been a few years back, uh, which has all <laughs> all the <laughs> the menu is what you might expect. It was uh, all sort Disney of themed, of, themed. is it? No, not Irish. Gold, uh, Irish. Themed. Irish stew. Uh, no, but not just Irish stew. It was like. You know, Darby O'Gill's fluffy old Irish stew kind of
3: boiled sheep's head. Uh, yeah, that's kind of stuff.
5: I'll, I'll, I'll try and find it for you. We can continue this conversation.
3: Absolutely, Probably. let's <sighs> do that.
5: I've rarely piqued your interest so much with, with the
3: well. Yeah, you, the you never ta- you never mentioned that. No. I didn't. Re- I didn't you realize just don't that your grand your grandfather was a cultural titan, kind of an ayatollah <laughs> back in back in the <laughs> day. Ayatollah McDevitt. Decide, Andy. That's through Darby O'Gill and the Little uh, People. Uh, let through.
5: Celebrated a great movie, which. <laughs> Much credit to our nation, Kent. I
3: wonder, did the did the uh, reel of the movie arrive with the two tickets to the uh, premiere dinner? Ah, uh, well, no. <laughs>
4: well,
3: look, I, you know, I I I guess probably not.
4: McDevitts are beyond reproach.
5: Yeah. Well, he wasn't the McDevitt, but that's... Well, whatever. That's another story. Game of the Weekend was at the Millennium Stadium. Martin Williams was working out for the BBC. An unbelievable match, really, Martin, in a lot of ways. There's not much more Wales could have thrown at England, and yeah, they still couldn't get over the line.
0: No, still uh huge... Frustration and disappointment in Wales on Monday morning after losing a game like that. It sounds a crazy thing to say, but sometimes when you lose by 20 or 30 points, it's a little bit easier to take than losing the game in the last minute. Where you know, like you say, they they've done everything. That's the best I've seen Wales play for a good three or four years. Um, but ultimately, at crucial stages in the last five minutes, they made some really poor decisions. And the team, you know, with the quality of England, they took took their opportunity, one chance right at the end brilliantly executed and came away with a win so strange feeling you, normally you know the, the country is in mourning after you lose to england but there was a, there was just a sense after the game that you know just watch two sort of gladiatorial teams go at each other give the best they could and uh, either side could have won
5: yeah it's funny you mentioned the, the sort of national mood there uh, a couple of times is that quite a palpable thing after after a big international like that is everyone just talking about the game
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Especially when it was such a good game, you know. I think um, after the autumn test, Wales came and, you know <laughs> came in for a lot of criticism, you know, in Wales, even though they won three from four, and people were seeing how well likes so Ireland and England were doing, and everybody wrote our chances off for the Six Nations. But I thought after after Italy, there was a general sense of optimism that we could beat England on Saturday, and in fairness to the team, you know, they just gave everything they did, and not only you know they didn't. Hang on in there against England. They played some superb rugby, but that is, that is all anybody's talking about. You know, we're all coming to the office this morning on a Monday. There's a couple of English in here, which is uh, absolutely brilliant I'm <laughs> to see them go in. Um, but everybody else is just saying what a great performance it was and how frustrated they are that we couldn't get over the line.
5: Do you reckon England are unstoppable now? I mean, 16 wins in a row?
0: No, I don't think they're unstoppable. I think. But they're a really good team and they're going to win the next two games against Italy and Scotland in Twickenham. Um, but, you know, they they are beatable. I think France and Wales have shown that they are beatable. They've just got that knack of, at the moment, that winning habit, which, you know, as a player, it's very difficult to put your finger on what that actually is. But it's just a bit of self-belief. They've got good quality, you know, a lot of strength and depth. When you think they're missing the run of Paul Brothers, George Cruz, Anthony Watson... Um, but they are beatable. They, they they are. I just think that uh, you know France and Wales really have just haven't been uh, clinical enough when they've had their opportunities. So they're on a great run, but you know they are beatable. England, and I wouldn't be surprised if Ireland beat them in the last game.
5: Really? Yeah. I mean, I that'll depend maybe on, on what happens in a couple of games in between times. Yeah. But what would no. you be confident about? What, what can Ireland uh, do that maybe Wales and France didn't quite do to get over the line against them?
0: I just think Ireland have shown in the autumn that they'd probably be a little bit more clinical. You know, they they will score points, they will score tries. You know, you look at them up in Murrayfield, they just had a disastrous first half, which cost them, but I think, you know, way in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Week, anyway, um, you know, if England are going for a Grand Slam and uh, the record of victories, then I think Ireland could, I think. They probably Ireland are ahead of Wales at the minute. There's a lot of rugby to go on um, between now and that last game, but I would I, I would fancy Ireland to win that last game against against England, just with everything that would ride on it.
5: Yeah, it's funny. I suppose Ireland are ahead of Wales, although the thought did strike me with a few minutes ago yesterday. If Wales were to win this game. I mean I mean you know what it's like Martin to be in those teams and it seems like particularly Wales tend to if they just get one big result like that it sets them up for the season. It, it, it occurred to me Welsh fans certainly would be thinking would have been thinking about a Grand Slam, uh, and would have been quite confident yeah. about a Grand Slam if you if you got over the line yesterday. Sorry, I don't know why I'm making you feel worse about about the defeat. Now. <laughs> no, you're right. This group
0: this group in particular, you know, they've showed when they get momentum, they get confidence. They're very they're a really difficult team to beat. Wales. They may not play the most attractive rugby, but they are difficult to beat. Um, it's you know, defensively so solid. But I just think attacking-wise, they try. They're in the process of trying to evolve from, I suppose, the Warren Gatland style of attack, and it's it's difficult to do that at the international level in, in such a short space of time. But you definitely saw so, um, on Saturday that there is progress in the attacking game. England are a very very strong defensive team, but cause them a lot of problems so like I say uh, well I know I I think Wales and Ireland have got some huge games now I think Ireland have got Wales and France uh, next to up and and Wales have got a tricky one up in Scotland and then you know a big Friday night game against Ireland so it will be it will be fascinating after you know going into the last week where they both stand
5: Absolutely well a great match on Saturday it is Martin good to catch up thanks a million
0: Okay, cheers Owen cheers mate thanks
3: he agrees with plenty just it's always who's saying it it's never what's actually said 90% of anything is who's saying this and 10% is what are they actually saying so the 90% in John's case is oh it's that twat
6: John is the best football brain in the world
2: if I could be that guy instead
3: of he just thinks I'm an annoying twat I'd
2: never let you do Never
6: let you down But if you're talking about the, the, the press which you're talking about have this uh, opinion of Guardiola it doesn't necessarily mean that football people have.
4: Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong.
6: The press come and go, as we know, you mentioned Ken Early well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks
3: I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean... You know, what can you, what can you do? can to please everyone.
5: The hurling season got started yesterday. Murph, lots of teams. Well, over the weekend it got started. Lots of teams feeling their way into it mm. uh, a little bit. But when you're playing against Kilkenny, you can't afford to do that. Yes. You, you, you sort of have to have to hit the hit your straps a little bit earlier on than say you were playing Kilkenny a couple of weeks down the line. Well, and there was a lot of intensity at Nolan Park, yes.
4: Oh, and there's well, there's a political backdrop to this as well because oh there's a land grab currently taking place in the environs of Waterford City. The border, the border between Kilkenny and Waterford is now one of the most hotly disputed no-go areas in world geopolitics. I want you to know this. Go right? on. There's, there are parts of currently what are, what are Waterford City that Kilkenny are inter- interested in stealing. Well, that, it might be that way or it might be the other way around. I'm not entirely sure. Depends on where what, you're... One way or another, about, on, yeah. there is a disputed territory. Uh, so against that backdrop, <laughs> okay. there was a round one, division one league game in February. Maybe, maybe it's the land grab, or maybe it's just the fact that these two teams have played each other a lot. But the uh, levels of commitment on show yesterday were hilariously high. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous uh, what was going on. But it 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 just goes to show that the, these things do games. I think do just take on a life of their own. They did the the, the professional pride of both sets of players meant that once they were once they had showed up in Nolan Park yesterday, they were going to do what they did, which is absolutely tearing to each other. And it was way more enjoyable than we had any right to expect on the first weekend of the, the national Hurling. League. It was Waterford who
5: got the way in their first at Nolan Park in since two thousand and four, so thirteen years. And I'm delighted to say we've got their manager, Derek McGrath, on the line. Derek, we've just been talking about the intensity of the two teams here. We didn't even get to the Dan Shanahan Sideshow He was going a little bit nuts On the sideline there Which tends to ha- happen From time to time But it seemed like uh, Just all round There was there was a real Bite to this game It seemed like more than Just a couple of league points
6: To you guys Yeah I know Yeah I suppose today, Yeah we're just reflecting On it today So look it was It was a big game From signposted From last September I suppose in terms of We knew the league fixture Would, would take us to The Kenny in the first round And I think the nature Of the league is such that Every two points Is kind of crucial So uh, Motivationally I suppose Going on the back of losing a semi-final of an All Ireland to Kilkenny, and um, we didn't want for motivation. But I think more so it was just kind of uh, a longing on our own behalf to try and get a victory up there, just a little psychological boost, I suppose, and to step in the right direction more so than anything you know?
4: Given how often her- the like the top hurling teams play each other, is there an element? Say yesterday, there were times uh, in the first half where you're watching it, and it kind of seemed as if. Whatever two points were on uh, offer, uh, I don't think in the wider context of the league, was kind of thrown out the window, and here we were just two teams that had played each other quite a bit, and both teams had kind of lost themselves nearly in the occasion, forgetting that it was fe- February, forgetting that it was the first round of, of the league. Uh, do you think that the, that kind of familiarity that the top teams have against each other means that sometimes games like that just happen, they just kind of go off and take on a life of their own?
6: I think you're right. I think it's. I think that's probably just. The, I think that's the mindset of both teams, even at that stage. It was kind of even as a management. I know we felt it was just a proper contest. So I, I think the, the two points didn't even actually come into it in terms of mid-game. You know, it wasn't really. It didn't really become a factor in terms of where you felt the game was going, to, whether it was going to be won or lost. It was more the fact that you were kind of reveling in, in what was a proper contest at that time of year. So I think, I think that that's that's where I think the players got lost in that as well because we were. Once we were worried in the run-up, but our, our preparation was quite scattered, the same as probably every inter-county team in terms of, you know, we had about 14 or 15 guys of of our panel of 26 yesterday involved in the Fitzgibbon game, so we were trying to mix and match in the run-up to the game. We didn't know whether we were after getting it um, right or not, and invariably when when you get the victory, you know, you're nearly applauding yourself for 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 your team selection or you know you're you're listening to to applaud it if you like. But the reality is, we just didn't know where we were until the game, so it's heartening. It's heartening, A, to kind of be in a proper contest, and B, to answer your question, I suppose, it is. You're just lost in it as a management and and players. And I think that's why, I I don't think Brian Brian is too despondent either, losing the two points, because I think there was positives for both teams, you know?
5: Yeah, it's really interesting the way you describe your own almost powerlessness over it to a certain extent, Derek. Obviously, you're a very meticulous manager, and you would do all this work, and you you would try to control as much as you can. But given just the time of year this fixture came, it sounds like, I don't know if powerlessness is the is the right word, even, but it must have been a slightly strange feeling to not really know until you put the players out there what was going to happen.
6: Yeah, I think we tried to preempt that with the players. We tried to discuss from a long time ago that I suppose the freedom that you afford your players in terms of playing with the college, you're hoping that the effort when you get them together at the weekend would be reciprocated. And that's it's probably it's probably a guilt factor involved in certain <laughs> yeah. uh, management strategy, if you like. So I think yeah. it's. We were given a bit of freedom to be with our college. We didn't. We got. We only got together last Friday night in advance of the game. Obviously, they were playing. They were playing Fitzgibbon on a Tuesday, so we trained with only 14 or 13 players last Tuesday night. The Tuesday night of a league match. So you're probably trying to balance. The the I suppose the guys that are there regularly, i.e. Michael Walsh and Kevin Moore and Paul Manny and Jake Dillon and those guys not trying to leave the mood drop, knowing that them, them realising, I suppose, that the guys are having highly competitive action at the same time. So it's, it's not a, a professional environment like the whole rugby provincial setups ups where, where guys go back and are left-backs, but it's, 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 probably, it's probably kind of a parallel to that in terms of what you're hoping to get out of the players. But it's, it was lots of debate in what way we were going to go, and we had used the Munster League for absolute experiment with the team and left the guys to the college's scene so, and then we just threw the college's guys in but we definitely wouldn't have expected any type of patterns or any of those type of you know we just wanted a, an absolutely wholesome effort and that's what we were glad of you know
4: Yeah you were quoted in the media a bit last week talking about how hard uh, you found getting over the semi-final replay uh, last year and how that a defeat like that would kind of stick around for a while in your in your head uh, Did yesterday do anything to us to kind of assuage that feeling, or is it kind of is it a totally different thing now? Twenty seventeen is a totally different thing.
6: Yeah, I think it's totally different. I think I was asked the question in the context of I I actually saw Brian's interview where Brian, you know, just said that he moves on with his life straight away, etc. I just thought, I thought I thought the tangents are different. Like for a <laughs> yeah. team like ourselves that are that are, that have competed in, you know, we say uh, four only All Ireland finals ever: forty eight, fifty nine, sixty three, and and two thousand eight. It's just a different dynamic, you know. And I was just, I was, I was answering the question in the context of it just wallows a bit more when, when you know, you're, you're, you're trying to make a breakthrough, if you like, and it just hurts a little bit more, I suppose. But it wasn't that we were kind of looking into our toes and looking into our boots, uh, you know, absolutely shell shocked for weeks and then. But there's, there's certainly a grieving process when you're, when you're that close to getting over the line. Yesterday, in terms of the feeling, not really. I think it's the, the nature of the league, and I'm, I'm on. I'm on record as giving out about the structure of the league is it's such that you just kind of nearly, you haven't even time, you know, you haven't time just moving on straight away to Tipperary to, to next Sunday, and that's that's the nature of it, you know.
5: Is it good fun going up against Cody?
6: Ah, it is. I, it is, listen, I, I, I'm i teaching in Dela Salle School, and we were in the all Colleges in 07 and 08, and Brian himself was principal of Adela Salle School, came down to us, was absolutely brilliant to the to the to the colleges, to the school team in advance of those all-earned finals um, and it hardly finds an finals and all in finals. But it is, but sure, he's the barometer and he's, you know, he's a fella, I suppose. I think, I think his teams, and I mean this with the greatest respect, are kind of are renowned for their orderliness. I think, and their hum- humble kind of nature. And I think that's the, the core principle has never really changed of any team. And I think that that dynamic is, is evident in all his teams. So I think in terms of copycat or in terms of trying to establish what you want in your own team, I think honesty is the main principle and, and he certainly has that with every team he's involved in, you know?
5: Uh, last year, Derek, I'm sure this stuff gets put to you all the time about the, about the uh, structure of the team and, you know, there was an idea that mm-hmm. last year you, you, the, the shackles were eventually cast off and that's why you guys performed. I'm sure it's not as simplistic as all that. Is there, do you take stock each winter and come back thinking a different way about the game or is it, is it, are you, do you basically feel you have it bang on and you're just fine-tuning what you're doing?
6: Yeah, well, I never feel I have a bang on. I, I, I just feel, I, I, what I do feel, I suppose, is I'm I'm conscious not to get too fickle or even prickly about this because then you're kind of entering into a debate that, that you're subjecting ourselves to probably open criticism. But listen, I, 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 I've been on record of saying, I, I saw Shane Horgan engage in, in, in a... Uh, some analysis from the France-Wales game almost three year- years ago and he said it's counterintuitive to say it but players rely on, on structure they rely on when you see a New Zealand offloading a ball people say oh it's, that's, it's off the cuff it's natural etc but it's probably because it's been repeated and there's been a structure with it as well we're just trying to tell the lads that there'll be certain scenarios involved and certain structures will be needed on a given time but we're not going to be over overloaded with information to the point where fellas can't play as well. So yeah, I, I don't think we have it spot on. But I think there's a big difference between being pragmatic and being um, ultimately defensive. Or, or you know, I think a, a management or, and players, you know, there's a consultative process needed there in terms of where where you need to go with the whole thing. So the whole thing is, is definitely evolving. You know, it sounds ironic to say, it, but I, I would actually stand in front. In time, I suppose. Whenever my term was up, I wouldn't mind standing in front of any uh, any argument, if you like. We we've actually never even played with a sweeper in our life, so every time I see or hear any analysis that involves, I I, I don't I don't I don't become prickly on it, but I just kind of I, I just say to myself, it's actually a little bit different than that, and you know there's a kind of an ambiguity there that that will be cleared up in time, I suppose. But it, it doesn't it doesn't rot at me, you know. I read I read Rory Gallagher in in the Sunday Times yesterday. I read it today, actually, just talking about um, how Donegal maybe needed to evolve into a more uh, attack-minded strategy going forward, if you like. And against that, I read Tomas Shea or Marco Shea talking about how important it is to have defensive structures in place. So, look, the debate and the, the theorists out there, are, 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 I think they all have their particular reasons for, for doing so. But we've actually never mentioned the word system or our. It, within within our own dressing, those words we we would just use kind of the words helping out or or you know just not working alone more so than that, and obviously give them the scenarios as 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 we feel they might happen, you know. So
5: when people so you, people constantly use the word sweeper in association with the team, you're saying that mm. you, you don't actually employ a sweeper as such.
6: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. I don't. I'm 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 saying that. Yeah, I'm saying that. Yeah. I, we use the word deep. More than, more than, more than sweep. But we use the word "attack" as a unit, "defend" as a unit, collective attacking, collective defending. But look, we're slow to get into the jargon that that maybe is, you know, is is has crept in. Not the jargon is the wrong word, but certainly the mm. the language that has crept in modern sports into hurling. Because then, when you engage in this, I think the traditionalists within the hurling and GAA fraternity t- think that you're overcomplicating a thing, and they're not able to tune into the fact that you're actually just, you know, you're just you're given. The, 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 the players an advantage by telling them what's going to happen if you like you're yeah. trying to look into a crystal ball but you're not going to take away their instinctive um, nature and their instinctive ability to, to play at any given stage I think that's the that's the crucial uh, thing for me you know and it's look it's ironic I suppose that in in, in the in the realms of all those structural patterns that we supposedly have you know Ty, Burke, and and Austin Gleason have won the last two young Hurler of the year and player of the year awards for for being robotic in their in their ways, you
5: know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point to end it on this and Derek. Great to talk to you. Thanks a million.
6: <laughs> mind yourself, mind yourself. Modern day coaching. What is it all about?
2: Paralysis by analysis, infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers, fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears, psychologists, Clyde Woodwork, statisticians dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us.
5: Uh, pretty. I think a pretty reasonable tone struck by Derek McGrath there in defending the way his teams play and defending his use of... I'm not even going to use the S-word because mm. he doesn't
4: use it. Well, it's interesting, actually, the, what you say there because oftentimes, I'm sure, when he's talking to people about you know a sweeper or the style of hurling that he plays, he's not in an argument discussing the finer details of how he sets up his team. He's actually just in an argument with someone who wants to talk about the sweeper and the sweeper in that person's head... They've made their mind up about what that means, and he, they're not talking about the same thing, even though the word the word has basically been colonised by people to describe a style of play that they really don't like, as opposed to it being a exact definition of what Derek McGrath and Watford have been using over the over the last couple of uh, last couple of years.
2: Yep. All
5: right. Uh, sounds good. Some the great stuff from Derek McGrath. I think as always. I can't.
3: I just can't let this go. What's up? <laughs> I'm looking at the movie poster. Of this. It's leprechaun magic to dazzle your eyes and fill you with laughter. Uh, There's a a little uh, yellow-shirted leprechaun dancing along on the the title of the movie, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. What year is that, Ken? 1959,
5: Owen. How was the Irish economy doing in 1959, Ken? What sort of tourism numbers are we getting in there? Uh, What sort of exposure do we have to the outside world? Is there an argument that any bit of exposure is good exposure?
3: When you're portrayed as six inch tall simpletons, I
4: mean this. Sean Connery was an Irishman in that movie. I mean, Sean Connery. We might be simple, but we are extremely handsome and hairy. Was this before or after the, the Quiet Man? Oh, seven years after the Quiet Man.
3: They, ha- I mean, the, so the, the, you've got dancing leprechauns from climbing around to a crocodile. Then what? What looks like a kind of an angry Bedouin tribesman, but I'm taking to be the Banshee. Uh, and finally, just two men one of whom is punching the other across the face. Oh, yeah, well,
5: it was a violent time in the country.
3: <laughs> He's smitten the other across the face. The guy is falling to the to the floor. It's obviously in a pub. Mm. So, uh Yeah different a- times A-OK a- okay. anyway, listen, Grandaddy McDevitt
4: I think uh, I think
5: tomorrow Again, sh- o- O'Hora, not McDevitt it was my mother's mother mm-hmm.
4: okay. well either way uh, I think tomorrow we should have a run through of all of the great French and Italian uh, <laughs> classics <laughs> that were denied to the Irish public by uh, by Ayatollah or O'Hora. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: the, se- the Second Captains World Service is live those of you who've become members already welcome aboard the rest of you if you're interested a minimum of six pods a week get on to secondcaptains.com and take it from there thanks Giorno Thanks, old. Get, I kind of amazing. feel my family honour has old. been besmirched. No, here oh, and
3: I'm proud. You should be proud. I'll Very sort proud. Say it afterwards. that? That's the second time it has gone on They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those boys.